0: Clap to God again. Church, good morning. Merry Christmas. Go ahead and grab a seat. We are in a series called Gratitude Today, and uh, we're also in a season of 21 days of just expressing that gratitude to God in these gratitude guides that we gave out last week, and you can jump in with us at any point. Uh, It's a pattern that we're wanting to develop in our lives because this season, for many of us, can cause a lot of stress. It it, It can be a magnification of loss. Uh, anxiety, difficulty. We, f- we feel grief sometimes. It's magnified during the, during the Christmas season. And what we learned last week w- was we learned that Mary, when we looked in Luke chapter 1, we're going to be back there again today. You can turn there with me. But we learned that Mary, there was a song that was birthed out of all of the uncertainty in her life. And instead, what she chose to do was she chose to magnify the Lord? It's called the Magnificat, and uh, and that that's in Latin, and it means this: My soul magnifies the Lord. Right? There's a magnifying glass here. It, it it makes God greater in contrast to. Here's what we often do: We magnify, and I do this. We can magnify our circumstances, magnify our problems. Right? We do that so easily. But she said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to magnify the Lord. And what we learned from Mary is that Mary, Mary chose to worship rather than worry. That is what we learned last week. She chose to worship rather than worry. And it, it, we, we learned that because it came out in the midst of a song. That was her song, the Magnificat, okay? Now I wanted to have some fun with you as we start off today. We're kind of looking at these first songs of Christmas and we're, uh, we're, we're seeing this and that Mary had a song. We're going to see today that Zechariah and Elizabeth also had a song. But I thought we'd have a little fun starting off. I want to play uh, with you. And by the way, there are prizes that are involved. I will let you know that. We're going to play Name, that Christmas tune to get started, okay? So uh, what I need you to do is they're going to play it here in a second, and then you raise your hand, and whoever catches my eye, raise the hand. You know it. I'll pick, I'll pick you, and if you're right, you get a prize, okay? So uh, are we ready? Ready to play? Name that Christmas tune. Here we go. Feel like a game show host. Let's go. Play the first one. Okay. All right. We'll just start right up front, Okay. Okay, there you go. How about that? That is what you get for sitting up front in the splash zone. This is what we call the splash zone. You know that, right? Okay. All right. Those of you in the back, you may be in trouble. I can't see you. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and let's go with the second one. Okay. Right here, Lynn. That, I think that's, sorry. I don't think that's right. No, Danny says it's not right. Okay. Good try. It's a part of it. It's not the neighbor. Okay. Right here. Right here. No. Good try. Right here. Eric. There you go. It is White Christmas. Give him a hand. Good try, others. That was a harder one. By the way, I want to tell you that each one of these is getting a little bit harder, a little bit harder. This is the last one, though, before we get into God's Word. Are we ready? Go. Okay. There you go. Right here. No? Good try. Right here. I couldn't hear you. What? Okay, Danny says it's right. That is right. Give her a big hand. Mariah Carey's song. You never knew you were going to play games when you came to church, all right? But uh, we, like to, we like to have some fun around here. Here's what I want you to hear. Songs are fun, but songs are also, there's always a story behind the song, and there, 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 it's funny. Was I was listening to some of these songs this week, these Christmas songs. It kind of transported me back to when I was a kid, thinking about some of the songs. And some of it was was moments of joy, but also uh, just I had different feelings that were evoked as I listened to some of those songs. But I always like to learn when there is a story behind the song, because there's always something that that provoked that song and brought that song about in somebody's heart. And today what we're going to hear is that this song, we're going to spend more time in the story behind the song than the actual song. You can go read the song for yourself more later. But I want you to know that there is a story behind Zechariah's song, and there was some disappointment and there was some doubt that he was wrestling with and struggling with that led to this song coming about within his life. They had been given a promise of a Messiah. They'd been waiting for a long time about uh, and heard about a Messiah, and he had taught probably about the Messiah and was waiting on a promised Messiah. And here's what we know is that sometimes whenever there is past disappointment that we struggle with, and you couple that with some current circumstances or current fear, here's what that can cause. It can cause doubt, and many times that can even lead the doubts. It's part of being human. Doubts can also, though, they can lead us to places of disbelief. And we're going to see how some of this played out today in this story. Some of you today If if you were just going to be real today, you would say you have walked in today and there is some disappointment that you are wrestling with right now in your life. It it could be all kinds of things, and maybe there is some fear that is also attached to the disappointment that you are struggling with, and it could even be causing doubts. And there could even be some because of disappointment and doubts, and there are some, and you maybe have known some, that you're, you're ready to walk away. Maybe you've known someone that has done that. They're in a place of disbelief now, and they're struggling. And we see that there is some struggle in this story that we're going to look at in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. If you'll read this with me, here is what it says. It says, whenever Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Okay? So you could say there is a heritage of holiness in this family. They come out of this lineage where where they are their family has been priest for years. Their father and great grandfather and great 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 grandfather, right? There was this lineage And Zechariah, it says, and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes. That's really important that you see this because there's going to be some disappointment that comes right after this. They were careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and his regulations. And they had no children. Here's where the disappointment comes in. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. And they were both, and this is interesting, Very, what does it say? Not just old, they were, say it with me, what? Very old, very old. It'd be easy to skip over the significance of this passage and to go straight into the song. And yes, the song is incredible. It's a song of covenant, it's a song of promise. But I want to know the story behind the song. I want to know what got him to this place of this song coming out of his heart. At one point, when you read the song later, maybe for yourself, here is what we find is that there is we, there, there is a story that Zechariah and Elizabeth have that although they were living righteously, Scripture said this. It says that in God's eyes, they were living righteously. Now, don't misunderstand this. It doesn't mean that they were perfect and without sin. They were broken just like we are. But here is what it means it means that they were doing the right things. They were doing things God's way. They were loving God. They were loving and serving other people. They were, they were active in serving the Lord as, as a priest. And, and what I know is that there were at least two major disappointments that Zechariah and Elizabeth were dealing with. One, understanding that he comes from this lineage, and she does as well, of this priesthood. Okay, here's what you need to know, is that at this point in Israel's history, God has been silent for 400 years. God is not speaking through prophets at this point. It has been one thing right after another that is going on in Israel. Now, please don't don't misunderstand. It doesn't say, and, and, and I don't want you to think, God was not working because God is always at work. God is orchestrating things that there was a season in Israel where God stopped, speaking through, God stopped speaking through his prophets and through his priests. And so I can imagine that being a pastor and, and wanting to be sure that I'm trying to lead you to the Lord. And, you know, that's what a priest does, right? A priest is one, and you're a priest in the Lord, right? Now we've learned that because of Jesus. A priest ministers to the Lord and ministers to others. I imagine he was probably discouraged because... He hadn't heard from Lord the Lord in a while. His father hadn't, his grandfather, great grandfather, and there may have been moments where he's like, "What are we doing? We, we've heard we've heard this promise of the Messiah. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep doing these things." But there was 400 years of silence. You want to talk about a spiritual drought? He had been praying. They'd been praying. Nothing. Have you ever felt like that? There was a spiritual drought that was happening, and it says that they were also struggling with a personal disappointment. They were struggling with infertility. Some of you understand this disappointment. And, and, and for years, throughout their marriage, because it says that they were very old now, throughout their marriage, they would get their hopes up. And I imagine they had a dream early on to have children, right? And then month after month, they would get their hopes up, only to be crushed every single month. And now they were in this place beyond her childbearing years, And they probably were feeling a sense of not only disappointment, maybe even hopelessness. And and it says this, that they were not just old, but very old. And I got to thinking this week, how old is very old? How is that defined? What does Scripture let us know about this? It's going to be be depressing for some of you at this moment, okay? I'm just going to say, but how old is very old? And we don't know for sure how old they were. We're not told this. But, but as I was digging in, I discovered in Numbers, in the book of Numbers, in the Old Testament, that Levitical priests would serve in the, in, in the temple from the ages of 25, are you ready? And they would often retire at the age of 50. And I thought, oh boy, here we go, because I'm 52. Here we go, all right? And, and, and so I'm like, man, what's going on here? We don't know for sure, but there are a lot of scholars that believe they were somewhere between, you ready? Very old Between 50 and 60, (laughs) just saying, okay, we think of it a little different today. But here is the thing: we don't know for certain, we just know that for certain Elizabeth was beyond childbearing years to where any kind of conception of a child was going to be only viewed as a miracle. And she would know that as a miracle, and others would know that as a miracle, but it says that they were they were very old, and so they were disappointed. Now, they were disappointed for a couple of reasons that go along with this. It wasn't just missing out on being able to give and share love with a child that that many of us get to experience. There were some other things that you need to know were playing into this disappointment. There was a financial implication of this. Children were, were looked upon as not only, they were not looked upon as just something to love, but they were kind of looked upon as your retirement plan. There was no 401k that was happening at this point. It was, you need children to be able to take care of you when you get older. There weren't retirement homes and there weren't nursing homes. It was, they, you needed a child to be able to take care of you. This is where they were at. And so there was not only this, this financial problem and ramification to this, there was also, you need to know, there was a social, a social side of this that was disastrous because, in this culture and we know that this isn't correct but you need to know culturally what they were feeling and what they were facing in this culture to not produce a child in this culture was looked upon as it was looked upon as punishment from god <laughs> was looked upon and so remember he's a priest she's from the same lineage people were probably looking at them casting judgment upon them thinking oh you're 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 righteous you probably have some kind of sin that is a secret sin people were probably thinking and they were dealing with this on a regular basis what did you guys do what did you do to tick off God like this that you would be in this place and this is how bad this got in this culture. I want you to know this. This social aspect and the financial aspect that, that men oftentimes were counseled by others to divorce their wives when they could not produce a child. And I mean, this was happening. It was happening uh, oftentimes. And, you know, to try again with another woman or whatever because this was so important in their culture. And remember, this cu- couple, is, it's clear that God makes it to us that this disappointment is not connected to the fact that they did something wrong. Remember, it said right before this, they were righteous. They were doing the right things, right? And we see this as we look at them. And some of you, you today can relate with what it means to have a disappointment in your life. Some of you are struggling with some personal disappointment that you are you're wrestling with God over right now. You've walked in here this morning and and it was everything for you to even get here or you're watching online and you're struggling with personal disappointment. Maybe you have you're single and you've wanted to be married, right? And, and and you're not married yet and and maybe a relationship didn't work out and you're disappointed. Maybe you're married and you're struggling with your marriage right now and 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 you're disappointed with how things are turning out. For some of you, it could be that that you are struggling with the same thing that Zechariah and Elizabeth were struggling with and some infertility issues right now. And and you're hurting because of this, because you desire to have a child and you don't have any children yet. Or maybe you have children, but your children are grown and they're making decisions that have you deeply concerned and you love your kids, but you're disappointed by a direction that they're going in. It could be a disappointment that's financial for you today. It could be that, that you lost a job recently that you were banking on, counting on, or, or maybe you have a job and you're working so hard right now to put food on the table, you're working your fingers to the bone, and, and it just feels like you can't ever catch up. Things keep breaking. Anybody ever feel that, right? And it costs money, so there's financial disappointment. It could be occupational You hoped you would have this job, you don't have this job yet, or how about this? You get the job, and the job you thought was the dream job is really a nightmare. And that could be a disappointment. It could be a physical disappointment as well. Your health continues to fail, and you're disappointed. And this is even harder, I think, for many Someone you love, their health fails, and you you feel powerless, and you're disappointed, and you've been praying, and you're struggling. And this, I think, is some disappointment that we see that is happening with Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I love that the Bible shows us their struggle. I love that the Bible doesn't just paint them as this righteous couple who didn't have any problems. Do you see, as we're going to keep reading, they were righteous and living right before God, doing the right things. And yet there still was a struggle because what do we know about this world? Man, it's broken, isn't it? And even though we live righteously, this is not our home. Some of us have come to love this world more than we think about what is out ahead of us. Why? Because it's what we see. This is where they were at. I want you to know this is the disappointment that Zechariah, Elizabeth were facing. And I know I have been here. I struggle with this. You struggle with this. We can easily allow disappointment to begin to eat away at the fabric. This is where some of you are. The fabric of your faith. It happens. We're people. They were people. They love the Lord, but they're struggling. We get to a place where we start We start disbelieving God. Bitterness can begin to take root within us, and we get bitter towards God or bitter towards others who have disappointed us. And we start doubting God's goodness. And there's a fundamental question that every believer who goes through a disappointment and a difficulty, we have to wrestle with. And here is what it is. None of us clap out of this, okay? We're all going to get this at some point. Do I believe that even in my disappointment that my heavenly father, here's your question, is still in control? And here's one that many of us struggle with and is still loving. It's a real question. This is what we learn from this couple as we begin to work through this, at least from the get-go. As I study this, as I look at this, as I look at my own life, my own disappointments that I have struggled with in my life. Here is what we have to take out of this is I cannot let my disappointment redefine my faith. Don't let your disappointment redefine your faith. And no doubt they struggled. We're gonna see they do. But here's some other things. I gotta tell you, we also, we shouldn't overlook this. We should celebrate some things about them because they definitely struggled. They definitely were in place of hopelessness at some point. At least I think Zechariah must have been. But here's what I also believe I think that they had great seasons of trusting God because there are some things that they could have done in response that we don't find record of. In fact, what we find is the opposite. You know, number one, they didn't get a divorce. I told you this was common. In that time, they would just say, I'm gonna try again with another woman as if everything was always the woman's fault. Sorry, ladies. They didn't treat women properly in this culture. You need to know that. We know that's not right. Zechariah, though, (laughs) was like, no, I love this woman. I made a promise to this woman. I made a promise to God. We said for richer, for poorer, for better or worse, right? In sickness and in health, and I'm keeping it. We got to give him some props for that in Elizabeth as well. We, we see that he didn't, he didn't forsake her in this. He didn't divorce her. Another thing that we need to know is that he, he didn't commit adultery. And sometimes... People will use disappointments as justification to do something that would bring some temporary satisfaction. Another element of this is, if you know the story of the Bible, you know in the Old Testament that there is a couple named Abraham and Sarah who went through a similar situation. They were old; they had a promise from God to have a child that would produce the nation of Israel. By the way, and uh, and they were very old too—75. Whenever. Abraham gets this news way past childbearing years, but God said, you're going to have a son and I'm going to produce a nation out of you. Uh, Time keeps going month after month, disappointment after disappointment, right? And finally, Sarah comes to Abraham and says, this isn't working out. You know what? Why don't you take Hagar, my handmaid, my servant, and go sleep with her, produce a child with her. And I noticed Abraham did not protest. (laughs) Okay, but I also, you need to know as part of the culture that, that oftentimes God didn't tell them to do it that way. But they did. They took things in their own hands. And you know that Ishmael was born out of that. And there were great problems that continued even to this very day with nations that are still fighting today that was born out of this disappointment. and We don't see them doing this. They didn't, they didn't take things into their own hands. They, they just continued to wait. And another thing... I see disappointment. I'm going to show you some disbelief. I don't absolutely see bitterness. I'm not saying they didn't struggle with it, but we don't see that they became bitter towards God and walked away. I mean, Zechariah could have just said, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done with ministry. You have let me down, God. I'm out. I, I don't see it. As we're going to read, he goes into the temple here. Do you know that as a priest, he was taking other people's prayers to God on a regular basis. People would come, they were the kind of couple people would come and say, will you pray for us? And I imagine they prayed for them, other people. And you know what? He would pray and they would see other people that would have their prayers answered affirmatively. And he must have, because he's human, just like you are, like I am. He must have thought at some point, God, why not us? God, I've prayed over this. We have wanted this. Why not me? We, we start to do that, don't we? And it's easy to start not magnifying God, but we magnify what others have, what, others, what, what things that are happening for others. We magnify that rather than magnifying, focusing on the Lord. When we start comparing, and many of us struggle with this a lot, many on social media. You start comparing and there is an airbrushed ideal versus what is actually real. And the next thing you know, you are saying, why not me, God? Why not us? Why not? Why them? And it turns to jealousy. It turns to envy, coveting, all these things that rob us of our peace with God. And we get bitter. And we get angry. Now their faith... Their faith was admirable, but I think they struggled, as we're going to read. I think he must have at some point remembered, God, have you forgotten me? Have you forgotten us? Do you know what his name means? Zechariah means God remembers. And I wondered if he was like, my name is a sham. I don't even like my name because it feels like... You have forgotten God. Now, they were admirable in their faith, but you got to see this. They weren't perfect. Specifically, we get Zechariah, the story behind his song, verse 8, one day, verse 8, one day Zechariah was serving God in the temple. So got to give him some credit, man. He's still plugging along. He hasn't walked away. He's still going through this. He's serving in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Incense was a representation. He would have been just outside what was in the main temple in Jerusalem, the Holy of Holies. Remember, it had been 400 years since God had spoken to any prophet or through a prophet. He would have been outside burning the incense, and it was a representation—the of the incense lifting up to God, prayers, other people's prayers. He's probably thinking, "Mine don't matter." And he says he was cho- he was chosen by lot to burn this incense by that by lot. It's be like us rolling dice today—who's going to get to go first in the game? Like flipping a coin. We think of it as a game of chance or whatever, but I need you to know something, especially when you know the context of this. There was no chance or coincidence. God is sovereign over this story and he's sovereign over your life because there was a one in 30,000 chance that he would be selected at this time. There were 30,000 other priests at this time. God's, God's doing something. God's working. He could have picked anybody, but, but it falls to Zechariah, right? He's, he's getting him ready. It's a once in a life. Zechariah perhaps had never even been in this area before. There were so many Levitical priests, but God in his perfect timing was doing something even when he wasn't speaking. God hadn't been speaking for some time now, right? Now, remember, this is all a setup for Jesus. It's all a setup for the Christ child, even though they would not give birth to the Christ child, but a close relative. Verse 11: While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, while he was in there doing his job, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar. Boom, he's there. Zechariah was shaken overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, by the way, the angel says this a couple of other times. One time to Mary, another time to Joseph. This tells me there's a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. What does he say? Look at what he says. Don't be afraid. Some of you, maybe that's what you need to hear today in your circumstance because you're anxious, you're worried. Don't Be afraid, Zechariah, for God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. If you keep going through this passage, verses 14 through 17, Gabriel is gonna say, Listen to me, he's not only gonna be a great son to you, he's gonna be a great man. He's going to be, in fact, by the way, you should know that Jesus would say, John the Baptist, that's who this is. He's the greatest man outside of Christ to have ever lived. Jesus said that twice. If Jesus is calling you great, let me tell you something, you're great. Okay? You're great. By the way, what was John the Baptist known for? He must increase. I must decrease. That's why he was great. That's why he was great. So in this, in in, in, in verses 14 through 17, the angel Gabriel is saying, he's going to be spirit-filled. Scripture says he was filled with the spirit while he was still in his mother's womb. When Mary came, he heard the voice It says he leapt, leapt in his mother's womb. Last week, there was a pregnant woman when I was preaching on that. She told me afterwards, she said, while you were preaching, Pastor Bart, my baby was moving. He had hiccups. I thought, I give people indigestion, okay, whenever that's going on. But, but he, leapt in, he leapt in his mother's womb. And he is going to be the one that's going to prepare the way for the greatest. Jesus. Jesus is coming. And many are going to repent. Here's what the angel is saying. Your son is going to be a life changer for people. He's going to bring about such power in his preaching. Repentance is going to happen. People are going to be getting back. Life change is happening. And here is what we see. Isn't this like God, right? By the way, God answers. Some of you are new to Christianity, and you may think that God, if you haven't gotten the answer you want, you may think that God's not answering prayer God always answers prayer. Here's how He answers. Okay, some of you need to hear this. It's the first time. Maybe you've ever heard this. God can answer yes. That's an answer, right? How many of you have kids? How many can you raise them? Raise your hands. How many of you have had to tell your child no? Let me ask you a question. Is that an answer? It is an answer. Sometimes the answer also is not yet. You maybe have even said to your son or daughter, not yet, not yet. But listen, sometimes it is no. And it it is an answer. It may not be the answer that we want, but here is what's going on. We need to understand, and we see this in this story, because our eyes can't see this. I struggle with seeing beyond what is right out ahead of me. But this is what we see in this. This is just like God. He's saying, you're not just going to have a son You're going to have a son that you can't even comprehend what he's going to do. God's way is the better way, even when I can't see it. God's way, even when I can't see it, I have to at some point cross the threshold of trusting that, believing that that is a part of the difficulty sometimes, though, of our faith. Isn't that why it is called faith? Because we do have a limited view in this. I struggle with this. You struggle with this. Zechariah was struggling with this in his disappointment. And God is showing us this. Verse 18, right? We see it play out. Zechariah, this is his response. He's got an angel telling him this. Some of us would be like, if I had an angel that would tell me, I would believe. Let's see. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I am an old man now. And I love how he says this because it is so politically correct. (laughs) And my wife, she is also well along in years. He must have been afraid this is going to get back to Elizabeth, okay? Okay. This is going to end up in scripture. Someone's going to talk about this. She's going to be forever known as being old, very old. I didn't call her very old. She's well along. She is, Lord, she's geriatrically challenged, okay, God? He's being real PC here. Here's something we see that happens all the time. This is where I've been before. Some of you are here today. Past disappointment, past disappointment. It didn't work out the way you thought coupled with current circumstances, current fear, whatever you're struggling with can create doubts where human doubts come about. But here is, here's the critical part. For many, it leads to disbelief. And we're like, I'm done, I'm done. And that's exactly what was happening. Right in front of his eyes, Gabriel's there. Again, I like to think if an an angel came to me write to me. I think what this shows us, I mean, how many times did they come to Jesus? Give us a sign. Give us a sign. Jesus is in their midst and he's doing things and they still are rejecting him. I think we shouldn't judge them too harshly here because I don't think even if we got a sign, most of us still would struggle with disappointment and doubt. We see this with this man. We shouldn't be too quick to judge when you've been Dealt a blow of disappointment. God, you didn't do it my way. You didn't do it in my time. God, you can't do it that way. And the Lord, this is hard. I don't mean this to be insensitive, but the Lord doesn't answer to us. He's not spiteful. He's not mean. But he doesn't answer to us. The Lord can say, I can do this however I choose to do this. I'm God. And God always has the long game in mind. And I don't. I I just don't. I can't. I can't see it. Do you know there are over 3,000 promises in God's word if you are a believer to you and to me? Over 3,000. And I can read those promises. And and, and I can read them. And and the Holy Spirit is whispering a promise of God to me. And do you know what I know you know this, because right along when that's being whispered in one ear, on the other side, there is an enemy that is coming along trying to rob that out of my mind and saying, that's not for you. That's not for you. God God doesn't love you. God God is holding out on you. That's what the enemy does, right? He's holding out. He's holding out. And and, and it begins to produce this. Satan's always there. God can't do that. God can't can't use you god doesn't love you and it begins to create fear that is right there with the disappointment and then it turns into these doubts and who is he and what can he do and and sometimes we walk away there's a couple of responses one could be a response that is grounded in faith another could be a response that is grounded in hopelessness and here's what that leads to bitterness bitterness and you're bitter you're bitter over what's happening what someone did, maybe you're bitter with God. You're bitter. Responses in faith, we may we misunderstand this. We may think that it's like we put on a fake smile and everything's good and I'm happy and I'm pretend. No. A response in faith can look like this. Are you ready? God, I'm mad about this. God, I'm tired of this. God, I'm upset right now. God, I hate this. God, I don't feel like this is right here's where faith comes in, but I still believe you're in control and I can't see it and I don't even, I'm struggling to believe it but I'm gonna, I I can't put it together but I'm still do you know that's a response in faith and it's authentic and it's real and it's what God wants from you, he doesn't want a fake you he wants you to, read the Psalms and there's a guy named David who said stuff like that. I hate this, God. I hate what I'm going through right now. It's raw. It's real. It's in God's word. And I just want you to know that can look like faith. It's faith. But God, I'm going I'm to walk with you. I'm going to keep trusting you. I'm going to just step today. I'm just going to one more step today. That's faith. That's faith. I'm a dad, I have two kids, and there have been times where we've had disagreements and there's been times I've had to tell them no, and here's what I want from my kids. I want us to have the kind of relationship where they don't fake like everything is okay with us. That's not healthy, is it? If there's something that's wrong, I want them to be able to sit down with me and tell me, and we may disagree, but you know what? Nothing has changed my love for them. Don't you want that with your kids, right? You want it to be real. You want to have a real relationship. And you might not agree, but at least it's real. And this is what we find in the scripture over and over. And and then, you know, there, there are other ways to respond. And in the hopeless feeling you might have, you have a choice to press and lean into God even though you can't see it, or, you know what? I'm gonna make another choice here. And here's the choice that many make, and it's it's impacting you, it's impacting your family, it is an infection of your soul, and here's what it is: it is bitterness. And it doesn't just impact you anymore. Bitterness. Right? And and, and we begin to doubt his love. We doubt, and 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 we all can get to this. And in the first response, you're still. You're struggling, but you're still looking, and you're still magnifying God. In the second response, it's flipped around, and you know what you're doing? You're magnifying you or me or the problem. Do you see? Do you see? Mary said, I want to magnify you, God. This is uncertain. I don't know. That was last week. But but here's the thing. I'm going to magnify the Lord. I'm going to lean into you here, God. Zechariah, he's basically telling this messenger in some self-pity God, you're late. You didn't do it my way. You didn't do it our way. So here's the deal, God. I don't believe you are going to do this. You, you showed up late. In fact, Gabriel, this is too good to be true. Too good to be true. Matter of fact, Gabriel, you sound like a junk mail messenger. How many of you get junk mail every day? I remember whenever I was younger, and you'd get this thing, and your name would be on it, and, and I was, when I was, you know, still maybe just a teenager coming out of that, and I'd get a piece of mail that would come, and it would say, Bart Howell, they know me. You have won $10,000. Supply us with your bank account number, right? suckers people fall for this stuff all the time right but most as we keep going we realize that's junk mail throw that stuff away how many of you get spam like that in your in you know your inbox right and 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 most of us through our through what happens through the years because so many have let us down in so many other ways we get cynical and then we have a hard time believing anything that is good that ever could be true and we start even believing God's promises as junk mail messages. Junk mail, right? It's junk mail. It's too good to be true. Can't be right. It's a scam. Too good to be true. How about this one? Let me ask you. Do you see this as a promise to you or do you see it as junk mail? Romans 8, Paul, who had been through all kinds of hardship, far beyond any of us, Paul said, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good. He does not say what you're going through is good because this world is broken, it stinks, it's jacked up. But God who is sovereign causes it to work for the good because he's sovereign over those who love God who are called according to his purpose for them. Promise or junk mail? It's a promise, isn't it? Some of us are looking through a junk mail lens. Junk mail, that's for everybody else, That's not for me. Things aren't working out. I can either apply the promise God's still working. I can't see it. He's still working. I don't get it. He may not do it my way. It's okay. He's still working. He's still God. How about this promise? You ready? Jesus, straight from Jesus to you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Promise or junk mail? How do we live? Do we live believing this? Do we live as if it's true, right? And, and so all of these promises, over 3,000, they always deal with, you ready? God's presence, God's power, God's sovereignty, the big, right? The big things that he's in control and that he loves you. He loves you. Zechariah stuck in a rut of past disappointment. It fostered disbelief. Even when a good news message from God came, verse 19, then the angel said, right, he's like, I don't believe you, Gabriel. It's junk. Angel said, I am Gabriel. Listen, priest, I stand in the very presence of God. There's a veil that is still blocking you people from the Holy of Holies, if you if you know about Scripture, you know that, that a high priest could go in one time a year. Sometimes, if they went in unrighteously, God killed them. And he's saying this, I, I, I'm not this scrub angel that's coming along here. I'm bringing you a message. I stand in the presence of God. By the way, it was he who sent me to bring you this good news. And this is what he's saying. By the way, you know what Gabriel means? God is my strength. He's like, Zechariah, you're a priest. You you should know your scripture, all right? You know what I've done in the past. You know that I've I've done mighty things. Go read Daniel again. Go look at some of these. I am Gabriel, and not only am I Gabriel, I'm on behalf and stand in the presence of one that is far beyond what you can imagine. This is what he's saying. But Zechariah so paralyzed in his disappointment, Gabriel says, hey, since you're stuck in disbelief, you're struggling, I love you, but here is the thing. I'm going to help you get out of this rut. But it's going to be unpleasant. It's not going to be fun. I'm going to get you out of this so there's going to be some disappointment." But here's the thing, this disappointment and this led to disbelief and it's led to this, I love you and God loves you so much. I'm on his behalf. He's going to help you get back on track because that's what God does with his kids. By the way, God doesn't punish his children. You know that, right? You know that, right? Jesus already took our punishment, but God does discipline his children. Okay, and this is what we're gonna see real quick, okay? But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Here's what he's saying here even though you don't believe, here's the thing God's still gonna work in spite of you. God will have his way. You're not gonna block this, you're not gonna keep it from happening. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering what he was doing to take so long. They were probably like, old guy, moving a little slow. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they, then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. This week I was reading that. I was like, what were his gestures? You know, I don't know. It was the first (laughs) spiritual charades or something, okay? Now, this is powerful. I don't have time to go on this one here, but when Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Even in the discipline, this says about his character, even in the discipline, he didn't pack it up and leave. He finished what he was doing. That's a whole other message, by the way. God is giving a preacher here a time out. And here's what he's saying, you do a lot of talking, son. Now it's time for you to be still, and you're going to listen for nine months. This is what he's saying. Gabriel's like, you want a sign? Here's your sign. Okay, all right, some of you know what that is. Here's what I want us to see out of this. God disciplined his disbelief. Please understand this, not his disappointment. We're going to get disappointed. He dis, God's going to bring this, di, some discipline in this disbelief. This, he's off track. He's struggling to believe. He can't, as a priest, represent God well in this. Who's also a priest? You are. Are you a bitter priest? Or are you a priest that struggles but still is going to magnify the Lord? God disciplined his disbelief. Finally, I bet Elizabeth was like, peace and quiet. (laughs) You've never shut up over how long they've been married. I started thinking about how Zechariah was trying to explain this to Elizabeth, (laughs) all right? It's my messed up way of thinking about things. I wonder if he was like, I don't know, okay? Soon afterward, his wife, we see they figured something out here. Elizabeth became pregnant, okay? Men will always find a way, is what I found out here. And she went into seclusion for five months, and then this is what she says. Listen to her song, how kind the Lord is. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. How kind you are, God. How good you are. How kind. Do do you know what I hear here? I hear gratitude. Gratitude. It's a choice for gratitude. God, you're doing something that's going to impact us, not only economically and socially. And, you know, and people were going to start talking about this at some point because she's going to start showing, right? She shows up after five months. People are like, the old couple. Oh, my goodness. I even heard Zechariah called her really old, look, and here's the deal, right? But in this process of Zechariah being silenced, I want you to know this, God began to, and how could he not change his heart through the discipline? That's always the point of discipline, it's to bring about a change of heart, It's not just to be mean or mean-spirited punishment. But God, I love, I love what J.D. Greer, a pastor in North Carolina, said about this. It's to bring you back. It's to bring you back, right? It's not trying, he's not paying you back. It's to bring you back. That's the difference in punishment and discipline. And God will do whatever it takes as you are a representative of his to get you back on track. God was saying, Zechariah, I need you right. This season where Jesus is coming and your son, I need priests that are going to be right with me. Not priests living in disbelief. Let's skip to verse 60. But Elizabeth said, now all these people are right, she has she gives birth all these people are trying to tell her it's 8 days later that's when they would have the circumcision and that is when they would name the child and everybody because it was customary was going to say the baby Zechariah junior this is incredible or whatever but Elizabeth they're trying to tell her what to do but Elizabeth said no his name is John and now people are or, by the way you know what John means ready god is gracious He's gracious. And people are like, what? And I'm like, boundaries, people? I mean, that's none of your business. But they were like, there's no one in all of your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. He motioned for a writing tablet. And to everybody's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. First game of Pictionary in the Bible right here, okay? writes it down. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. He's like, nobody's going to tell us what to name that baby. The baby said, it's going to be this. I learned my lesson. God can teach us something in a timeout, can he not? And this is what's happening. So he's just like, whoo, this is awesome, unbelievable. And in this process, this is what we see. It says, all fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? We're not even talking about Jesus yet. What will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Now, here's what's interesting. I don't have time to read all this, but it was not just a prophecy about his son. Do you know where he starts? He starts with Jesus. This song was birthed out of pain and discipline and learning. And this is what he says. It's a song. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited us. It's been a while, God, but you did. You visited, and you have redeemed your people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of the servant David. It hasn't even happened yet, right? But it's coming just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. You think he's believing it now? He's like, I believe it now. Now we will be, what's it say, church? Saved. It's not just a promise for them. It's a promise for you and for me. What has God been teaching you right now in the season that has been Disappointment. I want to invite you just to pray with me. We're going to sing a final song here where we're going to turn our hearts back to the Lord. What is God teaching you? If you keep reading that song, it's a song of covenant, a song of promise, it's a song for another sermon on another day. But this is what we see. Some of you, maybe now today, you're in a place of disappointment and you have a couple of choices. Your disappointment is real. And God knows, God, God senses it, God sees it, God loves you. And God has promises for you in the midst of your disappointment. Some, it could be a failed relationship. For some, it could be health issues that you're struggling with right now. It could be a dream that you had that seems to never come about. And you can choose to go about your life in self-pity and in a place of bitterness Or today, you can wrestle through that with God. It's okay to wrestle with God. It's okay to express your heart to Him. But come to a crossroad of your faith and say, God, I don't get it, but God, I'm going to trust you. God, you're in control. God, I'm going to still love you. God, I'm still going to choose to live with a grateful heart today. God remembers that Zechariah's name. God hasn't forgotten you either. God hasn't forgotten his promises. I know you may be like, man, but Zechariah got his prayer answered. Mine is not coming about, Bart. I, don't, I just, you know, what do I do with this? And again, if you look at that song, you'll see that before he ever gave thanks for the son, John, his eyes were directed squarely upon Jesus. And here is the truth, whatever you are facing now because Jesus the Messiah has come, we look through the lens of the Savior. No matter if it's death for a believer, Jesus is the game changer. And this is what we focus on, it changes everything.